Hi, I'm Sophie Hannah, and on today's show, I'm very excited to tell you how my husband moved from the friend zone to fiance. So make sure you stay tuned to hear that story on today's episode of Ethnically Speaking. I'm Marisha Pink and I'm Sophie Hanna and I want to welcome you to episode 31 of Ethnically Speaking, the show where we discuss everything affecting the UK's highly melanated communities from current affairs to pop culture and everything in between. Now, if you've been rocking for us for a while, then you've probably noticed something a little bit different about our lineup today. And that's because the inimitable Lawanda Yasmin has decided to move on from the show. And while she will be sorely missed from everybody on the Ethnically Speaking team, we really want to wish her all the best for the future and to anything that her talent takes her to next. And now while we're on the subject of the Ethnically Speaking team, we are joined today instead by Marisha Pink, the co-founder of the United Melanin Group Company and the executive producer of Ethnically Speaking. Welcome to the show, Marisha. Thank you so much, Sophie. It's actually really fun to be back on this side of the camera with you ladies. And you're going to be seeing a lot more of me and the rest of the production team over the next couple of weeks as we officially kick off our search for some new hosts of Ethnically Speaking. We are, of course, going to be keeping all of our viewers and listeners up to date as we go. So make sure you're following us on social. If you're not already, what are you waiting for? All the links are down in the description. And you will also get a chance to see just who is in the running as we get our favorites up on the show live on air to be doing some guest hosting spots uh, as the process rolls on so make sure you keep following us and if you're interested in coming to be on the panel with these lovely ladies then make sure you stick around to the end of the show where we'll be giving you full details of how to apply well, it sounds like we've got some exciting times coming, but until then, we're still going to keep it 100 this week as we talk about Trump and the invasion of the Capitol building, push presents, a register for racial offenders, and taking people from the friend zone to fiance. But first up, we've got Marisha. We're going in heavy from the top. What you got for us? Yeah, you're going to have to bear with me a second, ladies. It is the latest installment in the great saga that is America, the series. Um, by now, I think we've probably all seen the images and the videos of thousands of Trump supporters storming the US Capitol building last week in a bid to prevent Congress from certifying Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. There were fights with law enforcement. There was destruction and theft of federal property, uh, not to mention some deaths, very, very sadly. Um, and despite all of this, this lawlessness continued for hours before what was a predominantly white mob was forcefully ejected from the building um, and basically told to go home. There, there weren't really very many uh, arrests. And I guess the question on everybody's lips is what's going on, because this behavior and the response um, from law enforcement really lies in stark contrast to what we saw in the Black Lives Matters protests last summer. There was often unprovoked and violent and hostile treatment of black people. And so that's got many of us in the community questioning whether whether this so-called unconscious bias in the police force is actually unconscious at all. Um, and basically, it's reignited debates about white privilege in America. Now, Trump. Where do we begin with Trump? Lots of people are saying that Trump is responsible for this. Trump incited that insurrection in a speech that he gave to protesters earlier that day. And let's not forget that we've had four years of misinformation, divisive and inflammatory comments, not to mention some very, very shady behavior on his part. And Twitter have finally seen the light along with a couple of other social media channels and they have permanently suspended his account. But now, and this, this story is, I guess, unfolding. I see, I see you there, Sophie. This, the story's unfolding and, um, Trump may actually become the first US president in history to face impeachment twice. So with all of this in the latest saga, and like I said, the story that we call America, what I want to know is this, why did it take a siege on a federal building for people to realize just how dangerous Trump and his narrative are? And to, I guess, even acknowledge that white privilege exists. And more importantly, how does America recover from this? How do they move forward? And how do we avoid ever seeing a fiasco like this again? 
To be honest, Marisha, this is a lot. <laughs> It's a lot, and I think the one thing that I would like to reiterate from what you said: the predominantly white mob. Now, I'm not saying that gives me joy, but what I'm saying is I don't understand why it took people this long. And the mm. only thing that I can think of, the only, I don't know why it took people this long to see racism in America. For some people, wanting to be blind to it. The only thing that I can think why it took this long is because people didn't take him seriously. Like maybe they actually thought. No one takes him seriously. He's obviously a joke. And then it took the storming of the building to realize that actually there are people who are literally digesting the narrative that he is throwing out there every single day, and on Fox News and what Republicans are saying. Like there are people who are taking what he's saying for the gospel, and those people aren't stupid. And I think that's where. That's why I think it becomes very difficult for Trump because he was trying to say, "Oh, he didn't incite this rebellion, this insurrection." But when you spoke to the supporters, they were like, "Well, he said go down there and fight and take your country back." To us, that meant go down. Like I just feel these people aren't stupid. They understand what it is that he's saying, and I think that the reason why I don't even know if everyone's seeing this as white privilege. If I'm being honest, I'm just glad that it happened. To a certain extent, not the people who have died, not the people who were scared and、yeah. who felt their life was at risk,、um, just so that there is a very clear opposite as to what's going on with white America and Black America. Like never again is anybody going to hear where racism doesn't exist in America. It's because you know you're peacefully protesting. Well, there were some people who are out of line. Actually, no, you can be white in America and storm a federal building and go home. And have dinner with your wife and never think about it again. That's the sort of place that you live in. And for America to move forward, I think I don't even know what that's going to take. I think definitely there needs to be consequences to what happened. People need to see that the law really is there for whoever、um, breaks it, whoever dishonors it, or whatever it is that those people did. And I think also there needs to be bipartisan politics. The next person who comes in has to show. I don't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. I'm here for everybody, and the policies are for everybody. Because what we saw with Trump is a set of policies that worked for one person, and it left other people out in the cold. And some people felt either empowered by him, or they felt scared of the America that he was creating. They need to know. They need to now show that there is unity、um, from the White House. Yeah, I. I almost share the notion of I'm not sure what the steps are to, for them to s- stop something like this happening again. Of course, Trump being out of the White House would be a big step. However, Trump, I think, just really gave a voice to a lot of people that felt the same way、um, as him in America. So for it to happen again, I do think it can happen. What could stop? I don't really know. Like I think. It, Marisha, you said it well when you said the latest installment in America, the series. Because I, if I had never stepped foot in that country, no one could pay me and convince me that it's a real place. You just couldn't because all the shenanigans I see on the news, I'm just like, this cannot be real. This absolutely cannot be real. So it always just like shocks me. There, I think the reason why it took this long though for、um, people to see kind of the privilege or the white privilege that. People may have is because I think they were just choosing not to see the privilege. I think it was very easy to say,、um, okay, yes, they're killing unarmed black people, but what did he do? Was what was his crime? What was his past? What was he like, etc., etc. So they used a lot of excuses, and I think this was the first time where they were challenged because I feel like a lot of Americans, especially those who are Trump supporters, they are like super patriotic, right? It's all about their country, and they've got this super pride, and so they would never want to go into the Capitol Hill one of Their buildings and storm it and hurt people. So the fact that a bunch of people did that and then there were no repercussions and that all these people were white, I think it kind of woke people up and they were like, actually, sorry, there should be repercussions. Why aren't these people being charged? Why are they not being treated as ca-、um, criminals? Why are they being described in the media as patriots? And it was like the only reason, which was obvious to everybody else, why they weren't getting this sort of treatment was because obviously they were white. And I think at that point it was undeniable that this was white privilege. And I think it's not only just about 
um, black people. I think it's all people of color because I think if it was a group of South Asian descendants who stormed the Capitol Hill, I think we'd be having a completely different conversation um, as well as black people. So I think at that point it was so undeniable that the reason why they're getting away with it is because of the color of their skin that it had to make everyone take a seat back and say, you know what, actually there is privilege. And it's kind of, it's a little bit like, I don't know, it's a bit bittersweet that you people weren't listening to like minorities and other people who were saying, you guys have privilege, you guys have privilege. It took it took this for them to realise that when they should have been listening all along. So that's the disheartening bit. It is disheartening, but I think that sort of, like you say, it's really sad. People died, people were injured. Um, it was very scary for people who were in that building when the siege took hold. But sometimes you need something that's that extreme to move people to a point where they can no longer deny stuff that is happening right in front of their eyes, even though I guess they, they choose not to see it. And I think for me, I don't think it's going to have resulted like those people that stormed the building, not all of them, but a lot of them will still come away, think they didn't do anything wrong and don't see a problem with the way that they were treated by law enforcement. I don't think those people, which I think a lot of them are Trump's kind of core fan base, if you like, um, that subscribe to his kind of more extreme uh, values. I don't think any of those people are going to be moved by this. I don't think any of them will see what happened as any form of mistreatment it's just like well we were we were just you know we were doing a protest i think it's the people i guess in the middle the people who have either just out of pure ignorance or willfully just kind of buried their head in the sand and said i don't want to pretend or acknowledge that this is going on because it doesn't really directly affect me or the people directly around me that can no longer be that sort of complicit in it because i think in in many respects if you're not part of the solution you are part of the problem we don't it doesn't mean that we need to see you out protesting and see you being the face of any kind of um campaign for uh more equal treatment of, of everybody in the u.s regardless of the color of their skin or across the world but we just need you not to be silent when you see it and to to kind of support efforts to try and move the needle and i think those people now are sitting there like some of the it's not funny what happened but some of the funnier i guess memes and videos and stuff that i've seen have come off of, of like TikTok and, and Snapchat or whatever have actually mostly been made by white American citizens who are literally going, look at this. You can no longer tell me that white privilege doesn't exist. Um, and one of them, I forget that I don't actually know what his name is. He's the actor that was in, um, he's been in Friends is one of when there was an episode where Phoebe had two boyfriends and one was, a, one was a policeman. Um, but he's literally there. Oh, I know that guy. Have he's you like seen him? Accent, like yeah, he's kind got of a very oh, what's thick his New name? York accent. I can't remember Oh, I know his who you're name. talking about, yeah. But he made this brilliant video and he's, I, I, I assume from the video that he is, um, his Jewish by descent. He went in, he was like saying Yiddish words at them. Like, this is what we call this this is how ridiculous this is how do you he's like i don't need you to tell me i knew this was a problem but you can no longer sit at home and pretend this isn't a problem i think in terms of how america moves forward and avoids this i the bit that concerns me or i guess the bit that makes me unsure about how we're going to proceed is i feel like the u.s is kind of going between two extremes a lot of the time so you know i watched i watched obama's inauguration and was like if this man makes it through this and doesn't get shot there's a hope here because mm. i was convinced i was a like a lot of us were thinking there's no way like hey they voted him in that was for the people that don't believe in this kind of thing that was bad enough they're actually gonna let him take office fine he's taken office for him to then go stay through office, not get shot, make it through two, uh, make through a re-election and two do times. his full eight years mm -hmm. was amazing and progressive. But I think when you see something that is that pro progressive, it shouldn't be progressive in 2021 now, but to some people it's progressive. It pushes all those people at the other extreme to start taking action and, and bringing their voice out. And I almost feel like that is because that is the reason that we've gone completely the other, other way to a candidate that let's face it, we I said misinformation, mistruths, shady behavior, um, inflammatory and divisive comments. Like that should never come from a sitting US president. It's bad enough when it comes from human beings that just out yeah. civilians doing their business, but from a sitting US president of one of the most powerful countries in the world. The world so I think, yeah, it's, it's awful. And so you have that and 
I think that some of that is a response, right? The man didn't have any political career, so to speak, of. He's not even yeah. particularly great businessman. He's gone bankrupt several times. So you have the people that are so vehemently opposed to something like Obama and what he represented rising up and supporting someone who is at the other extreme in the form of Trump. And now we're almost going back, maybe maybe somewhere in the middle, but back the other way, because we've got Biden here. And, you know, we've all seen the, the jokes played at Biden about how obviously his age is advancing. And we don't know how long he's he's going to, to be around. Um, 20, but was it by- 2024 Kamala? 2024. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And like, oh is, it actually, is it actually a way to squirrel in Kamala? Let's have our first, um, uh, first oh US gosh. female president um, uh, from a... Um, from a minority background or highly melanated background. So I, but I think as a combination, that is probably the most progressive we're going to get for the time being. And I think the duality of the two of them working together. And I think the way that Biden came out and condemned what had happened, like unequivocally, they're all, they're all now that Trump is leaving, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. the Obama, Michelle Obama put a really poignant post together and she came out yep. and they were just like, you know, we need yeah. to just stop this because it's, Nobody should really have that much power. That's a part of the reason why we have, you know, Congress and Parliament and stuff. Like, no single individual should have that. But tr- Twitter banned Trump, Trump's account, and he just went on the official president of the US account and started <laughs> tweeting that. from there. And I was just but like, you know, I think, I think you just make such a good point, Marisha, about because as much as I loathe what Trump has done in office, and I'm not even from the country, so this is as an outsider. Yeah. As you mm-hmm. said, Marisha, like there are a group of people who feel that they found their voice in him. And I mm-hmm. think when we're talking about how America moves forward, it's looking at all the people in the entire country. Because as you'll see in any um, election, and it happens here, I'm sorry, I'm not singling out America, the votes that they go for are places either that they think they can win or they think is a swing yeah. state. If there's states that they don't think that they're going to get votes in, like that's, that's red. We're not going to get any votes. It's heavily Republican. They won't even really visit it because basically it's a waste of time. But what we see here is now is that there are people who feel as much as the white man to us may not be marginalized in America, the white man in the deep south in some places who have had their um, industrial towns shut down, who don't have access to any types of work because all the industries that you they used to work in have been shipped over to China and now they're yeah. not able to kind of make things and bring things in. They feel disenfranchised. And it's about um, Biden coming in and really trying to think about everybody in the country, not just the ones who are going to be in the areas that are, you know, more likely to vote for him next time. And I'm not saying that's that's um, what Biden wants to do. But I think it's so tricky when you have a country of 250 million trying to make policies that fit everybody because somebody is always going to be, I don't want to say left out, but maybe get the short end of the stick. You know, that's why Republicans like to, um, that's why people like to vote Republican because they're like, I'm going to get more tax breaks. And if I vote for the Democrats, well, they might be fairer in this sense, but I want to keep my money. It was like, well, I don't really believe in abortion. So let me go for the Republicans. But I know that they want to, you know, kick out immigrants. It's just it's just so tenuous at the moment that I think, unfortunately, what Trump has done over the past four years can't be fixed by Biden in the next four years. Do you think then that Trump should get impeached? I know like people are calling for him to get impeached a second time. Do you think that will do anything? <laughs> Make a difference? Want Stop him, him? Warn others? <laughs> I want him to get impeached because he'll lose his pension and his security service and all these other perks that he gets like health insurance. So for me, I'm like, yeah, you should be impeached because you shouldn't, you shouldn't have those things. You don't deserve them for what you've done to your country and for the insurrection that you, you, you don't, you rose in the last couple of weeks of your presidency. I want him to get impeached so he can't run again. Yeah, me, exactly. I don't, I do do not, I do not want 2024. They're like the rise of make America great again. Absolutely not. (laughs) Because it will come back again. That's the thing. That's thing. So I think, um, as I said, it's it's a evolving story. You know, at the time that we're that we're filming and between when it goes out. But um, if Mike Pence doesn't uh, 
in at the, is it the 25th amendment? I mean, I don't know yeah. how many amendments we've yeah. got now. Like I was like, everyone goes about the fifth. I'm like, how many amendments do you guys have? They got um, a lot of amendments. They got a lot of amendments. Um, I think that's the important thing. And I'm not, that's not to say that, you know, a, another candidate, you know, couldn't go on and win and that Biden and Kamala might have four years in office. But I, I just think, I just think that this is dangerous. I think that you're not supposed to take a position of power and, use it to push an agenda. You're supposed to represent party politics. You're supposed to use it to better the environment. And I just feel like he, like you said, he's done more damage um, than good. He's just pushed his agenda on people. But speaking of pushing your agenda on people, speaking of pushing people who have uh, come into buildings that they're not meant to be in, um, do you guys know what a push present is? Yes. Yes, I right. do. <laughs> so... <laughs> I said that with uh, a lot of uh, a lot of conviction there, Sophie. So, model Keisha Kaur Davis, who is the wife of uh, rapper uh, Gucci Mane, has recently given birth to their first child together, and she revealed on social media that she received one million dollars as a push present from her husband. Now, for anybody watching who doesn't know what a push present is, it is a gift given to a woman shortly before or shortly after she gives birth to celebrate. Uh, celebrate, I guess. Thank you for um, the pain of the labor that you have just gone through. Uh, my question for you, ladies, is this Is a baby enough, or should a baby be a gift enough, um, or should women be rewarded for that hard slog of labor with a push present? And if you were going to get a push present from your partner, what would it be? Um, to answer your first question, is the baby enough? Simply, it's a no. Um, it's an absolute no. Just absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't understand. I pushed the baby out, so why would the baby be the gift for me? It just, it, it just, like, I don't know. Like, if we're talking about a gift from God, then hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But if we're talking about a gift from my husband, absolutely not. <laughs> it would, or my partner, or my baby father, it would, it would just be a no. For me, it's just an ab, oh, just, I'm keeping it short and saying no, okay? Um, I do think you should get pushed presents. I love the idea. Can I just say, I love the generation we're in, that we celebrate everything, because I feel like from the last, like, 10, 20 years, like, gender reveals and push presents, they've, and even, like, wedding gifts, like, that your husband has to give you a gift on your wedding day, all of these new things that have come in, I'm just glad I've lived to this time, because I enjoy these kind of extra celebrations. Um, if I was to get a push present... Now, this is just for me, what only works for Anissa. I would tell everyone to get a push present that you want that's on your heart. And what is on my heart would be either a house or a car. That is what I feel like I should deserve if I pushed a baby out. So, yes, short. Anissa, mm. there's a lot there. <laughs> there was a you lot might, there. Really? You were, you're going to have a house or a car? A house or a car? It doesn't have to be a millionaire, a house or a car. Do you know what the house costs? Mine if, he, if he's not going to be a millionaire, if he's just going to gift you a house when you push out the baby. Well, I mean, he's got ha he's got to have enough money for the deposit for sure. But it doesn't have to be a millionaire to get a house deposit. Oh, so it doesn't need to be bought outright, just like a mortgage. You're saying? Yeah, I mean, but obviously he has to pay the mortgage. But yes, it just. But, do you know what I mean? I'm sorry, I I didn't realize how understanding you were being. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me. I think push presents are ridiculous, to be honest. I actually think the baby is enough of a gift. Like, getting a present to push my own baby out? Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, for me, a healthy child is gift enough. And I, I know that might sound corny, but I really think if a child comes out healthy in mind and body, like, I really think that is a gift and a blessing. Flip side, I wouldn't turn down a push presents because gifts are my love language. So if you're going to give it, I'm taking it. I'm not giving that back. Let me just say. So <laughs> what I would take is, I'm going to take a dog because you guys know 2021, I'm uh, yes. all on that dog flex. Um, I would take my master's probably paid out in full. Uh, driving lessons in a car, perhaps. It'd have to be something you couldn't just get me on another day. But in general, I don't think it needs to be rewarded to have a child. And I basically think, honestly, I think it's um, consumerism because whereas Anissa's is like, I think it's great we celebrate everything. I feel like society is trapping us to buy gifts and spend money at everything where we, yeah, we devalue like the time spent and like things that don't cost money. All right. I'm going to say I sit some, well, 
somewhere in the middle of the two of you, maybe leaning a little bit towards Sophie. I think, first of all, I hope your husband was taking notes, Sophie, because that was like very... Oh, he's not watching this episode. He doesn't, he's not watching this episode because if he wants to give it, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to ask him. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. And uh, <laughs> Anissa, I hope a millionaire is watching. He's like, okay, must have a house and have coffee. <laughs> have if he's gonna, uh, awesome. baby. Um, I... I'm kind of with you. I love to celebrate stuff. So I think, you know, life is if celebrating. We, you know, never know how long we're going to have. We never know what's going to come away. I'm all for celebrating. But I'm with you on this idea that celebration has kind of become um, associated with some degree of consumerism and capitalism and just always being about spending money and how much you spend and the expectation of gifting. So I think for me, listen, I would never expect a push present. Um, if you wanted to get me something, that would be nice. I'm like, Sophie, I'm not going to send it back. If I had to pick what it would be, it probably actually even wouldn't be something like Sophie's, Sophie's gift choices were quite practical. So it probably would be something practical, like maybe some food that I haven't been able to eat the whole time I've been pregnant that maybe you can now eat that you're breastfeeding or something like that. Um, cause I just love food and really that will just make me happy. Um, maybe I'm more of an experiences person than a like a physical tangible gift thing so again like if you thinking about like what you just what your body just went through maybe go to like a spa thing or like a little I guess you've got a newborn baby but like a little just something that is just like okay it's just for you just to relax you for what you're if it's really truly about the hard slog of labor like what your body just went through to just like relax you and treat you um and other than that, I would probably, I'd probably go jewelry. So it'd probably be something, but very like sentimental. So as a, as a, as a person, I don't really have expensive jewelry. I've got a lot of like costume jewelry because I just like kind of like weird and wacky stuff. The other like nice jewelry that I've got is probably not even that like crazy expensive. But the reason that I love it is because it's sentimental. It was gifted to me for an occasion, like you say, in celebration of something or gifted to me by someone um, that I really care about. And so for me, I think having a piece of jewelry that like celebrates the birth of your child. And I mean that like your child together, like you were saying, you pushed out the baby, but it is actually your child. The gift is the kid. Um with some kind of engraving or something that when you every time you wear it or you look at it you think okay that like reminds me of this like amazing moment that my child was born into the world and I know that that probably sounds a bit corny but I think anything more than that like a house Anissa are you for real? Marisha you just said that you like practical gifts I've never met anybody who's got a house and told me it was unpractical like I've never met anyone in my life don't mean the baby needs somewhere to live and why wasn't I want a car? Do I need to wheel this baby around? Like, those are the most practical gifts. If I had said that I wanted a yacht or something, like, that would have been unpractical. A house and a car, I think that's okay. very practical. And when I'm thinking about push present, in my mind, I'm not just thinking the birth. I'm thinking the fact that, one, I've had to be pregnant for nine months, so I've had to deal with all of that. Then, secondly, I have to deal with whatever wreck this is having on my body, okay? Let's do that. Then I've got to push this baby out. Then this pregnancy could actually kill me, so I've got my health concerns. These are, it's, it's a bunch of reasons put together, and for me, it's like, I'm basically putting my life on the line to have this baby, so what is the cost of my life? Is it a trip to the cinema or is it a house? You have to like put the, you've got to put the, go somewhere on the scale. And it feels like the house feels more like what my life is worth. And I'm a big push present people. Every time I meet a man and he tells me that he's having a baby, my question always is, what are you getting as a push present? And I had a work colleague and he told me he was not getting his wife anything as a push present. And I was like the leader of the crusade who said every day, you need to get her a push present, you need to get her a push present. And like me and all the other girls, we'd search for hours on the internet. This is when the, I had nothing to do at work, it was a formal workplace. And we'd search for hours on the internet, different push presents. And he was so against it, but we were really convincing him, you need to get her a push present. Anyway, they had the baby, and when he came back to work, he said, you're absolutely right. After what I've witnessed, she deserves everything I can give her. And she wanted this really expensive... It wasn't even like she wanted a house or something. She wanted a really expensive breast pump. I think the breast pump was like £500. I was like, well, she needs to feed the baby. This just makes sense. So anyway, he got her the breast pump, and she really loved the breast pump. And so I like put that down on my scoreboard of some of the good things I've done in the world. Anissa, so you're out here saving marriages. You're out here saving families. You, you are out it. here doing the Lord's work. That's what you're out here doing. Hallelujah. I just want to say, though, if my husband's watching, 
Don't ever think you're going to get me a breast pump to feed our child as a gift. That's not a gift. Because I'm going to say that's a necessity. That's a, <laughs> like, <laughs> I would be so okay. mad. I'd be like, no, 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 no. But that's, that's practical. Just... You guys are about practical. The breast pump is practical. It feeds the baby. Nope. Okay, nope. that, this, I, that needs to be at the here? baby shower. Yeah, yeah, go on, Rachel, sorry. I'm going to throw this out here then because I would be more concerned if I'd gotten to the point where I had pushed a baby out or were like imminently pushing a baby out and I didn't know where I was going to live or how I was going to get me and my baby home from the hospital and stuff. Like, I kind of feel like just before the birth or just after it is a little late to be like, oh, don't worry, I got us a house and I You'll got us a house. You'll be surprised, No, 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 you're not. You'll be no. surprised. No, no, I will, I will not be surprised. <laughs> I'm not having a baby for anybody when that stuff is like not, is not sorted or at least has been talked about. Well, I'm just like leaving it to chance. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I feel like that might actually be part of the like the problem in many respects because I think it's the problem is in is in the expectation. Like Sophie said, mm. if somebody gave me a gift, I would fully appreciate that, and I would be like, "That's so nice. That's such a lovely thing to do. It's very thoughtful," and appreciate the sentiment behind it. Which is why I'm saying I don't really. It doesn't really matter to me so much what it is because it's about. I know this again sounds really cheesy, but it, it, gifting is supposed to be. It's the thought that counts. I think the problem is when we get into that that thing of expectation, like, do you want to fall out with your partner? Like, Sophie's real passionate about gifts. Are you going to fall out with your partner because he didn't get you a gift or he didn't get you the right gift when you just brought a child into the world together? And I feel like the expectation and the pressure from society or from people that you work with, Anissa, is pushing people to do something that isn't, like, women have been giving birth for like millennia forever uh, forever forever <laughs> and i'm not saying it's not a big thing i'm not saying it doesn't take a toll like, i haven't gone through it but i'm not saying it doesn't take a toll on your body and that it shouldn't be celebrated and you should not be appreciated for what you have just done but the expectation of being rewarded for it somehow and then i guess like you get into that territory territory where people are comparing stuff and so it's like, oh, well, what did you get for a push present? And then you're like, well, hang on a minute. My husband got me this, but your boyfriend only got you that. Or your wife only got you like, it, it's a bit of a, a minefield. I'm not, I'm not really here for that expectation, but if you want a gift, gifting should really come from the heart, not because you're like terrified yeah. of your partner that if you don't buy them a house and a car that, you know, they might run off with the baby. You should see a push present <laughs> as a Christmas present though. Like you always, I'm sure like with your partner stuff, you would expect your partner to get you a Christmas present. The gift is still coming from the heart, but the expectation is still there. So I would yeah. still, I'd treat my push present as I treat my Christmas present or my birthday present. I expect it to be coming. Whatever it is, I will enjoy. But obviously, if you know me, then you will bring me the enjoyment. So that's why I said, I think push presents have to be personal to you. I think definitely. And I just think that people should really spend within their means. That's the only thing I would add. Like, Ooh. don't get mm. caught up with Gucci Mane, getting mm -hmm. that for Kylie getting a Ferrari or like Beyonce getting a diamond ring. Like, spend within your means because mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that scares me about push presents is like people are going to go into debt to buy something so someone can floss online to talk about what they've got. If you haven't got a million pounds, like Marisa said, get the meal that I haven't been able to get me some cheese. Cheese. Cheese is good. <laughs> but babies cost money. You can't eat cheese. Like certain you can't types. Eat I cheese when you're pregnant? Egg, can't eat egg. Yeah, you can't even like anything U -L -I -E. but raw, yeah. <laughs> No. You can't eat cheese when you're pregnant. No. She's gonna end up asking for the house to be paid for by the end of this. It's not even a mortgage anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I don't think you can I've always said it needs a little bit of convincing, but I definitely think you can't convince me at this point. If I can't even have bloody bloody cheese, I'll survive from cheese. Maybe that's why you why you feel so passionately that you need to have a like a car or a house as a reward because you're actually like to be convinced to have the baby in the first place. Exactly, because I want to put my like, life in danger for no reason. Um, <laughs> so whether you want a push present or you do want a push present or whatever you want for your push present we have reached the halfway point of the show so make sure you push that subscribe button make sure you push that like button and you also push that notification bell so you don't miss a thing so so far we have spoken about the incident that took place at capitol hill and also about push presents something i want to talk to you ladies about was something i saw online basically an official petition 
asking the UK government to create a register for racist offenders has reached 10k signatures, meaning that the government must now fully respond. The petition's creators have said that the register will allow organisations to find out whether future employees have had any race-related offences before they are recruited into diverse organisations. Do you think there should be a register for racial offenders and can we truly trust companies to use that data to discriminate against racial offenders? So I saw this online as well and I've got to say that I'm kind of on the fence about it like my initial reaction was like yeah of course why would why would you not do that um and i think in principle i like the idea of there being some way of of kind of centralizing and checking whether people have perpetuated uh like race race crimes but i think the bit that i struggle with is how do we actually implement that in practice um and i think it's because of quite a few different things so if first of all when i was kind of digging into it a bit deeper they want to add people who've had a conviction um, anyone who's had a caution or dismissal from a workplace. Um, and I think that kind of combines, as I understood it, combines a, the approach that they have with the sex offenders register, where it's people have actually been convicted with something like the medical register, where you might have like a misdemeanor or misconduct, but you're still allowed to practice. And I think that that gets a bit messy because I feel like we, we do a lot of headline reading and it's just going to be like, okay, you'll just blanket, you're racist. We don't really look at the detail of stuff. So, if there was ever a situation where um, there was not, I don't want to say misunderstanding, but just, you know, people do all kinds of things in the workplace. Sometimes things aren't as they seem. I, you know, I've seen workplace bullying where people will um, not play the race card, but just will like push things to get people out of situations or, or to get out of situations that they don't want to be in. So I think it's kind of open to manipulation a little bit in that respect. And when you look at something like the sex offenders register, the way that that, um, that that works is, I guess, you put in a request to your local, I guess, like your local police force, and they will then confirm or deny whether that person that you suspect may be in the vicinity of, of you or your children or something like that is, um, is actually on the register so that you can make an informed decision. And the problem that I think I have with this is that I believe, and lots of other people are with me, but I guess not everyone does that, that we have, um, institutionally racist organizations in this in this country so the police being one of those that have frequently come under fire for their kind of um the handling of race complaints even within them as an organization so for me i'm thinking well does that lead to manipulation who holds this register who governs it who is in control of releasing information in relation to it or not um if we if we really did it and we really wanted to look at workplace incidents, does that mean we have to sack half the police force? Because there have been so many stories of um, of uh, things in the workplace just within the police force itself, not even talking about interactions between the police and the public that have either gone unreported and then been sort of talked about after the fact or have been reported and have been escalated and they've had whole committees and stuff and no one's actually ended up being charged. Um, so I think it's a dangerous game to play when we've got this situation where people are, uh, who's in control of it? Is it open to manipulation? Um, and that's a huge amount of data as well that we're holding about people. And we've spoken on the show before about data privacy and the mismanagement and the mishandling. The government itself is, uh, no stranger to leaks and hacks and things like that. So if we've got such a broad, um, such a broad descriptor of who would, we would classify as a racial offender, um, and that includes people don't have a conviction, then what would happen if that data gets leaked or it gets out? Because um, it's open to misinterpretation. I just think that just really tagging onto what you're saying, Marisha, I think it works in theory. And I think in practice, I don't think it's going to work for anybody. And I think what a register does, and I'm not talking about the child sex offenders registers, because I think that is people who have committed an offence and maybe some people have a problem that they, they can't actually control. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but children are vulnerable, they need to be protected. When we're talking about this list now, what about if somebody can change? What about if somebody has this tag against their name of they made a racist comment and then now they're barred from getting work everywhere that they go or in diverse organisations? And it reminds me of people, I know people who have criminal records and really struggle um, to find jobs because they have to make it known and it could have been something that happened a while ago and what you are on paper doesn't really equate to who you might be right now in this moment and I think with race it's very interesting because 
when we saw the last vote in the UK for the prime minister, they're saying that the areas that vote against like um, parties that are against immigration are the ones that are the least integrated. So people who are living amongst people who everyone looks like them, probably the white majority, they vote against immigration because they're not used to seeing how it can work and the good things that can come together. So by barring somebody from a diverse organization, how is that gonna help? We're basically just saying them go and work with, you know, with somebody, I guess in this instance, someone in an all white organization, so no minority will be a threat from you. But I'm like, how is that not just gonna build on exactly what it is that um that the issue that is the issue in the first place and something else that i would say is are we thinking about this vice versa because are we saying that no black people drop some shady microaggressive racist comment at work like oh you know that's just white people girl or something that because they're saying they want microaggressions to go in there i'm just like yes. when we start having microaggressions put people on the register. I'm like, no one is gonna be exempt from that. And how do I know that my boss who doesn't like me isn't gonna get back at me by putting me on this race register and then now I'm prohibited from getting work. I just think it's it's really, really shady and I don't think it's actually gonna deal with the real problem of racism. Yeah, I think that was definitely my point when I saw this as well, Sophie. The part for me that was murky is when I saw that they wanted to include microaggressions on the register because I thought to myself well this isn't something that they can say is like a legal crime of course it happened but it's kind of like how do you how do you police that enough to put it on the register um, and I saw that um, one of the young ladies who's behind um, I guess this movement I think they were calling her the Black Panther of Oxford if I'm correct um, Sasha, Sasha Johnson she was saying that um similar to what you guys said earlier is that they would also want to use this register to stop people even living in certain area areas and I thought to myself like hang on a minute like if somebody had a microaggression um on this register registered to themselves that they were banned from living in this certain area it just it just felt like it, it was too murky like it was almost too far because I think that if somebody is known to have like violence against people, like serious hate crimes, things like that, for me, it'd be like, okay, I understand why you wouldn't want them living in that area, especially with like sex offenders. But with microaggressions, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say that they're okay because they're absolutely not okay. But I don't know if it's enough to bar somebody from living in an area. And then also on top of that, I agree with Sophie. I don't like the idea of a register, I'm on the fence about it because I see how you could implement it so that people who are racist defenders aren't put in places of power um, in diverse organisations to bully people or influence people. But at the same time, I don't like the idea of the register because I believe that people are progressive. That That's just the belief that I have. I think that who I was yesterday is not who I am today or tomorrow. And I think to have something like that put on a formal register, it's just, it's like an element of control or a little bit like, cancel culture but formally by the government which I, I'm not really into so I think it was quite interesting because when, I, like I said, my initial reaction was like, yes, why wouldn't we want this? And then I sort of thought about it a bit more and thought about what some of the problems with implementing it in practice would be. I think it's interesting that the uh, petition only reached like just just gone over the 10,000, which means that the government has to respond to it. I think it's over 100,000 when they actually have to bring it to parliament and actually discuss it. So I think, I, I guess a part of me was wondering, is that a reflection of lots of other people similar to us going, okay, in, in theory, I can see how that will work, but actually I don't know if I want to co-sign on this because it's got a lot of things that need to be worked out. Um, I think you've both said really interesting things as well about just what we do with people who are, you know, there's one extreme, which is, you know, people who are perpetuating hate crimes and like violent uh, crimes that are um, completely disruptive and for which maybe there's like some serious stuff that needs to go on, whether it's in the form of punishment and or rehabilitation. But um, for those smaller things, I think we're not going to get out of a place of ignorance and help help people to understand when because a lot of microaggressions are just that right they're, they're so they're micro that, that people don't even realize they're doing it it's just born out of ignorance and so banning these people as you say from the workplace like every workplace should be diverse in my opinion we live in um just speaking here of you know just the uk we live in a diverse country um we obviously have different uh, ratios of the different populations that make it up um compared to somewhere like america but it definitely is a 
um, it should be that organizations as so, insofar as possible reflect the society that they operate in. And so there should be no such thing as like, oh, we have diverse workplaces and non-diverse workplaces. I can see that there would be some benefit in having, it doesn't, I don't know if a register is the right thing. I think that's where the issue is for me, but I can see there being some way of, of reporting um, for organizations that I guess are public organizations or people or organizations that are meant to represent public interest because there really is no place for microaggressions, macroaggressions, any of that thing in that, in that, in those organizations where people have that kind of power and that kind of influence over people's lives. If, if you come from or operate from a position of bias, what I think would be more interesting is looking at organizations. So I would be, even as an employee going into an organization, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I would be so concerned about whether my fellow employees were racist or because I think you'd see that pretty quickly when you started. I would want to know that if I felt that there was racism going on, whether it was directed towards me or towards somebody else, that it would be dealt with properly if it was raised. And I think that is that is something different. That's looking at organizations that are basically complicit in in racist behavior um, and do nothing to to kind of shut it down that's the thing that i really wanted to come and you could see i was just like "Ah, ah, ah, (laughs) it's a bit about what what does a register do about systemic racism that's happening in an organization or it's institutional like We've talked about, you know, black people not being able to get ahead in workplaces and what could be done. And my thing is what happens when the board is completely white and they don't really think about diversity when they're trying to promote people and they're trying to promote because of nepotism, because, you know, their really good friend has been recommended to them at the dinner table. And, you know, they don't think about anything. They don't think anything about there's no black people at a senior level. And those black people can't get to the senior level because they haven't got the training that is necessary because they might not have access to it the circles that they're in like that to me is the racism that we need to be looking at because the majority of people that are affecting us in the workplaces as minorities from progressing aren't going to be on this register they're going to know better than to make some sort of underhand sly comment people know how like I think Boris Johnson knows how to act to a certain degree do you know what I mean he's not going to exactly tell us like he has had some political training he has do you know what I mean unlike Trump so where is he he says it in a coded way like oh Churchill he did so much good for us and you're just like Boris you know that this man was basically like a racist and he be he believed hang on even people are less even Boris is like you know he was talking about um that's referring true. He to, said Piccadilly's... to women in yeah, like referring <laughs> to okay. Muslim women in the nickel. Very true. Let me just <laughs> or something. <laughs> Let me talk about the CEO of a company then, who might know how to conduct themselves a bit better. But yes. I'm like, what about the racist structures that they have in place to stop people of minority ethnic progressing? The register can't deal with that. The register's looking at just a comment that I might make or something I might do, but it's not looking about the reasons why we can't get ahead at all. And I think that's where it lacks for me because it feels like it would just be putting a band-aid on like a life-threatening wound. Well, that brings me back to the second point of my question then. Do you think we can actually trust these companies if we were to have a registrar to actually use that information from the registrar to discriminate against these racial vendors? Because personally for me... As you've said, if the company itself isn't already diverse or if they don't see it as much of a problem, I could imagine people turning a blind eye if they think this person is good for the job. I I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think I'd probably agree. I think it's just there's just it's just open to too much manipulation, really, unless it's sort of enshrined in law, like in I don't know if the, the, the laws and stuff that govern employment and HR, unless it's actually wrapped up in that why would you do it it's like for certain posts you have to have um a dbs check because you're going to be working with children or you're going you know those those posts require it there's no way you're getting into any of those posts without it but this is i think we're talking here a little bit more about i guess big business <laughs> and so <laughs> the cost the, but again it, it, everything's about money it incurs an additional cost if you have an additional step in your hiring process i don't know how many people would be that up for it and by doing that um, I mean, what happens if you expose the fact that you've got people already working in your organization on it, not just potential employees? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to sit on that information? Are you going to call them up and fire them? Like, what's going to happen? I think it's, it's a bit murky. It needs to be thought through a bit more. Yeah. be interesting to see and what I the government responds with. 
Yeah, and I don't know anybody who works in HR. I know people that work in HR and they're just like, when they get the equal opportunities form through that talks about, you know, race, background, religion, and they tell you they're not going to look at it. They were like, oh, we look at it. We look at it. We, we see what race people are. Like, so there is no secrecy. Like, there is going to be no confidentiality. And I think adding that layer of personal information, it could be dangerous for some people. Definitely. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the government is going to respond. Um, but something I want to get you ladies' response on is former Love & Hip Hop Hollywood star Masika Kalisha has just announced her engagement after only dating her partner for four months. So the reality star also revealed that she has known her fiancé for 10 years and admitted that she has curved him for 97% of this time do you think you can truly fall in love with someone you've had in the friendship zone for so long and how would it happen a hundred percent uh my husband was in the friend zone <laughs> really do tell no, we need a story we need a story <laughs> that was it. do tell <laughs> he was in the friend zone so but um, how long sorry go <laughs> <laughs> so when we when we first met each other i could tell he was attracted to me i thought yeah he's all right he's cute um we went on a date and i was just kind of like no nah, I, I just feel <laughs> my exact words i feel like god wants me to be with somebody else so it's not gonna go did you say that to him i said that i said that on, I said that on wow. the day and he has never forgotten it and he brings it up <laughs> Every now and then, like, oh, God didn't want this, and here you are. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I love Jonathan. He has the best responses. <laughs> so he was cleanly put into the friendship zone. I was just like, not going to happen. This is a box called friend. In you go. Um, and then we just started talking. He would come to my workplace because we worked under an umbrella organization. So every now and then he would have to come for meetings. And every time he came, he would just come to my office and just chat with me over the period of two years. And after about two years, I said to my friend, I think I made a mistake here. I think, I think I made a mistake. And she was like, yeah, I think you did. Um, and by this time, we already had another girlfriend. So, so, it's like confession time. So um, we were up late one night talking. We went away on a work trip. So there was a bunch of us on the work trip. We was all sitting down together in someone's room, chatting, blah, 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 blah. And then I was just like, I just need to tell this guy that I like him because I feel like he likes me. And I don't know what's going on, but I just feel like there's an attraction there. So I told him and he told me, you missed your chance. Uh, no. I'm, I'm not interested and I have a girlfriend, so this isn't going anywhere. And I was just left with egg on my face. But thankfully he changed his mind and he saw the light and he realized that actually he was about to miss out on a very good thing. So now we're together. So men, women, <laughs> you can definitely move from the friend zone into a love relationship. The thing that I don't like about it, to be honest, I think it's really sneaky because every man that I know who has been in the friend zone, my husband included, they know what they're doing. They're like, my personality is winning. Like, I'm going to win her around. She just needs a bit of time. I don't like that there's this deceptive plan going on underneath the seams. But what can I say? We've been happily married for two years. Sophie, that was the best story ever. I think you have no idea. I was <laughs> gagging, like, for my life. Like, we were talking about the work trip. I was like, yeah, it goes down on the work trip. And he said, you told him, and we had a girlfriend. I was thinking, no. Nah. And he, oh, my God, that's the best story ever. <laughs> I think you said something quite interesting, though, Sophie, because I, I've got a, not a similar story, because we didn't wind up married. Just no spoilers here. Sorry, no. <laughs> Um, but I um, had a long, it was about 10, over 10 years ago now, I had a long-term relationship with a with someone who was my friend for about three years beforehand. But I think the, I, I will say this, I think there's always one party, if it's going to go that way, and I fully believe yeah. in platonic um, male, female, whatever, you know, whichever way your persuasion is, I believe in platonic friendships. But I think if it's going to transition from one to the other, quite often one of you is always harboring some degree of feeling and you might be willing to let it go or you might be willing to play the long game. You might be, in my case, it was more of a, um, 
I think he was just a bit shy. Like, I don't think, you know, once you start mm. to become friends and you're building it, but then it's quite clear in the friend zone, you don't know how to, to move it in that direction. And in my particular case, um, it was actually, I think timing is everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was reading an article from, uh, I think it was in the Huff Post and she, or in the Independent, and she was basically saying that t- it's often when there's these big life events happening and these big changes happening that people then feel like compelled to suddenly spill their feelings to someone that they've been friends with. And in my case, um, I was about to go traveling for like six months. And I think just before that, I had just gone through a breakup and a mutual friend of ours was like, I was telling him I'd gone through this breakup and he was like, yeah, good. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, no, like people don't normally say that. Um, and he's like, good. He's like, cause I always thought you were going to get together with this other friend that we have. And I was like, really? And I think at that point, something gets put in your mind and you're just like, mm-hmm. hmm, yeah. okay. Um, and I was like, mm, okay, I just hadn't really <laughs> thought about, like, and, I'm, and I'd be lying if I said oh, I didn't think that there were times where I thought, you know, you, you're definitely into me. Like, you just, you kind of know a lot of the time. If you mm. think someone's flirting with you, nine times out of ten they are. Um, so I do remember thinking, oh, you you know, okay, I could, I could probably have guessed that, assumed that since nothing, no approaches had been made, it wasn't something that you were intent on taking up. But with that in my mind, mixed with, um, you know, the the heartbreak of breakups, mixed with like, I'm about to just go off for like six months. I think that kind of put us both in a situation where we had this, what was called our day of fun. And it was meant to be just, it, and it sounds, re- no, it's not how it sounds. That wasn't it. <laughs> Friends with benefits. <laughs> Was it a nighttime party? No, 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 it wasn't that, it wasn't that. So I had, no, 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 okay, let me, let me just make this clear. It was not that at all. That came out the wrong way. We, um, we live in different cities and I had had a leaving party before I was going off so I could see everyone before I left for six months and he came down for it and then was obviously still in, in London over that, over that weekend. So that next day, because I thought, that's quite sweet. He came down, say goodbye to me. We're like, let's go and hang out, you know, and go and do a couple of things. And it was one of those days that began with like some lunch that turned into a coffee that turned into a trip to the cinema and so on and so on and so on and so on. And then you got to the end of it, I think in the cinema, I think, I think we had a little kiss at the end of the film in the cinema. And then we went for a drink afterwards and it was just like, what just happened here? And also why did this take so long and what was going on? But I honestly don't think it would have happened if... I hadn't been about to leave because I think people just gather up the courage and I can throw this out. And you know what? If I get egg on my face, I have to see this person for another six months. We'll have all blown over by then. And I think it, I think it also depend on how, how close you are as friends. So we were good friends. I don't think I had reservations. Like if this doesn't work out, I'm losing like one of my best friends. So I was maybe a bit less risk averse in that, in that sense, but it was completely PG 13. I just like to make that clear. That <laughs> We it, sure was, we got you. it was it was PG thirty. It was twelve A, but we didn't have to come along. It's fine. I don't think it was. I think it was a PG fifteen. That's what I'm gonna say. No. But well. no, no. Um, I think I I agree with both of you guys. I think um, it usually happens when people feel like it's kind of like that airport scene, like the person's about to leave, so you have to run and tell them mm. how you feel kind of vibe. And I also agree with Sophie that I find it horrifically sneaky. Now, I'm not like a friendship zone person. I kind of feel like if I see you and I like you, then I want you. I don't want to do the friend thing. I don't want to do, like, anybody who I'm, who is like of, who is a man and is my friend, I'm not attracted to them physically or even personality wise I just you just wouldn't be my friend even if I felt like that and I have had you know I have a lot of male friends and I've lost a lot of male friends because at one time or another they've come and they've done this usher confessions part one part two part three and I have not taken they it wanted well your sexy ass that's what you're trying to say no. isn't it well those were not my words Sophie no but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, just, and, you know, I feel like that's where you're trying to get to. They no, wanted no, to go 18 saying, movie. Exactly. Do you know what? It was, it was not that. It was more of a conversation. It was never like they tried to kiss me outright. But it was more of a conversation. I, like, look, I have these feelings for you. I want us to do X, Y, Z. And I want us to be together, blah, blah, blah. And it has never, it just hasn't. I've never taken it well. Because in my mind, I just feel like you've been in my life 
as like a double agent. I feel like you have an agenda and you're deceptive. And anybody who knows me knows that honesty is like my big thing. And I understand if you don't have the courage to do it, but for me, it's just like, I just, I can't move past the deception. Like I can forgive you, but we're never, we're never going further. And because I didn't want you in the beginning, I don't really want you now. And I know that sounds horrific, but I'm just one of those people. You don't, I just don't, we don't grow. I don't, people don't grow on me. I either instantly like you or I don't. It just has been that way always. Um, but I did once have a friend who told me, but because his friendship meant so much to me, I just said to him as soon as he said it, let's just never speak about this again, please. Let's not do this because I really needed his friendship in my life. Like I really loved it. I said, I said, let's never speak about this ever again. And we never did. Obviously, years later, we didn't actually drift apart. <laughs> but it was, he will always be very important to me. But I just, for me, if you're in the friend zone, you're, you're just meant to be my friend. Like, that's, that's just how I see it. So, yeah. And do you know what? I think you bring up some really interesting points, Anissa, because I think in an article that I was reading, they said the fact is the more you get to know someone, the more attractive that they tend to become to you. Now, I understand you're saying that it doesn't work for you like that. Um, no, and I guess I for me, generally, I've really been against... In fact, not against, I don't really believe that men and women can be friends if they're both heterosexual and they're attracted to each other or someone finds the other person attractive. I just think it's never going to work. Like, I don't really have male friends like that because I just I just don't think it can work. And I know someone's going to say something to that because they always do. That's how I feel. And I think I've never had a guy who's kind of graduated to being in a relationship with me because I never really had male friends. So I ne it was never an issue for me because I'm like... I just feel like you're probably being my friend because you want to get close to me and you probably want something to to blossom. And I don't even want to give you that that idea that that's going to happen. And I think with Jonathan, why I think it's so funny, my husband, is because I still think it's really, really sneaky. I think the fact that he was kind of moved on. I do. I think it's really sneaky. And he thinks he, he was just like, because for what's her name? The one from Masika? Masika, yes. Yeah, from Love, Love and, and Hip Hop. Hip -Hop. When I saw the guy who she's engaged to, I'm like, it all makes sense. He's not stereotypically good looking. She's um, an attractive no, woman. I say he was good looking. No, no. For me personally, I don't think he's stereotypically good looking. Like he hasn't okay. got like Hollywood movie looks. Do you know okay, what I mean? Fair, he's not like fair, that. He's fair. not going to play the leading man. And I think a lot of times when people say, oh, I don't see them that way, it means I'm not physically attracted to them. Whether they're... Whether, depending on what you think is attractive. And I think some guys like that guy from Masika. And I think for Jonathan, because um, automatically I was like, he's not really my type. I like guys who are over six foot, really dark skinned. He's neither of those things. So for me, I'm like, it's not typically the sort of person I would go for. But I think for Masika and definitely for me, when I became friends with Jonathan, I'm like, this is an amazing guy. Like I can talk to him about anything. He's really intelligent. We just really, really vibe. And I really had to rethink the sort of people that I was going for to be like, actually, there's a really great guy here who's probably not packaged how you would um, normally like them. But then the more you spend time with them, the more attractive he became. So I think it can work on both ends. You can be the sort of person who's like, it doesn't matter what you look like or how, how friendly we are, it's never gonna happen. And some guys or some women or whoever you're attracted to really just are growers. I think though, even though they grow on you, there has to still be a slight spark of physical attraction to take you to that line. Do, do you know what I mean well, by that? Well, it's true. Well, yeah, he, there has Jonathan to be went a on a little first bit. date in the beginning. So Jonathan and I went on a first date. So obviously there was some attraction there. But I think yeah. generally, like, if he had been my automatic type of, like, six foot four, really dark skin of African, immediate African descent, then we probably wouldn't even have been friends. And I think that's the beauty of the friend having the friendship is that you know that it's already based on this trust and this relationship that you've already built. Um, and then you're bouncing off of that. And any good relationship should have a friendship as a basis. Yeah, that's true. I just don't even be friends with people that I even think are kind of attractive. Like, if there's even, if I think, oh, you're a little bit attractive, like, we just won't be friends, if that, if that makes sense. But all my male friends yeah, are handsome. Sense, They're very but handsome I... for all the single women. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can appreciate that somebody is good looking or attractive mm -hmm. without necessarily mm -hmm. wanting to get X-rated with them. I think that's, you know, like I can... Whether it's right or wrong, I could look at it at my male friends, I could look at my female friends and say, oh, I think that's an attractive person or not. I think Sophie raised something that was really interesting, which is just that in that friendship situation, the 
the reasons that you choose to be someone's friend have nothing to do with aesthetics. And so you're actually evaluating Mm -hmm. that person's character. You're evaluating their values. You're evaluating the way that they treat you and the way that they make you feel when you are interacting with them. And I think if those things all stack up to, because that's really the values that we should be looking at when trying to choose a partner and I think so off definitely something as I've gotten older I'm not I'm not that old but definitely as I've gotten older I have focused more on that whereas when I was younger it was much more about like Anissa said that instant like, I'm either attracted to you or I'm not and I'm not going to change my mind about this it doesn't matter how nice you are and if you play in the friend zone and you're like the one that's always there that's just not what's getting me going but I mean at that time you're also looking for different things that perhaps when you're looking to be a bit more settled so I think it I think it can work both ways you can definitely fall in love with someone and I think friendship is a great basis for a relationship for sure guys I just love it when we have all these different opinions and I wish we could (laughs) talk about this more but our time is over so I want to say thanks for watching and listening to Ethnically Speaking but keep the conversation going with us we want to know can you start a relationship from the friend zone let us know your answers down below in the comments and if you want even more of us don't forget to click the link in the description for access to extra ethnic which is a special segment exclusively available to our email subscribers for a summary of everything we've talked about today head on over to unitedmelaningroup.com forward slash es031 the link will be in the description and as marisha said at the start of today's episode we are on the hunt for fresh talent fresh faces fresh voices to join us right here on ethnically speaking if you think you have what it takes head on over to unitedmelaningroup.com forward slash es casting for more information on how to apply and remember that the deadline is january 31st if you've been watching us on youtube don't forget to give us a thumbs up subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so you don't miss a thing we're going to be seeing you again the same time next week but until then wear a mask wash your hands keep your distance stay safe